All right, so welcome to our day long on the five spiritual faculties, which is what's referred to in the um, title. And this is a very important teaching in, in Buddhism, actually. So we're going to have a chance to explore different facets of it. Uh, as in most day longs, we'll have sitting and walking and teachings and a lunch break around the middle um, and a Dharma talk and time for Q&A. And the idea is that we'll finish around four o'clock Pacific. So the title here referred to five doorways and that is the five spiritual faculties. So these are a key set of qualities that are developed um, in the Buddhist teachings. They're named in Pali, they're called the Indriya, and they're named after the god Indra, who was um, the chief of the gods, essentially. And so there was some idea that Indra had some influence over the gods and some ability to kind of manage them and keep them in line. Uh, all those unruly gods. Um, so in the same way, these five faculties are considered to be qualities of mind that have some kind of management effect in our, in our mind, not in a bad way, like micromanagement or anything, but just a kind of channeling and organizing our minds so they can help guide our mind and keep it on the path, which is also really important going along with this idea of finding balance or finding clarity uh, referred to in the title because we're in a situation right now where many of our reference points have been stripped away and you know, not through anything that we did necessarily, but just through the flow of how things are in this world. And some of it's in a good way. Maybe we're happy that certain structures are being swept away, but you know, on the other hand, there are uh, disruptions also, especially in the pandemic and other things. So many people have a feeling of disorientation, whether they've sort of consciously acknowledged that or not. And it's affecting um, you know, people's ability to be with each other and, and navigate in the world. And there's a lot in the Buddhist teachings that can help us with this. You know, sometimes Buddhist teachings emphasize impermanence and the you know, unreliability of everything. And that's one important view. Um, and they also offer ways that we can stay balanced, ways that we can find refuges and things that are more reliable at least than what we might normally be relying on in just sort of unconscious everyday living. So these five faculties are um, have some strength. They have some ability to do that for us. And it's in fact said that in the teachings that the strength of somebody's faculties, how well, how many, how much they've developed them, is some indicator of how far along the path they are. So, and then an arahant has fully developed faculties, whatever that means. So, you know, whether we're, um, whether we worry about the idealization or not, we can consider that these are important qualities to look at. So let me sort of name and describe them just to orient us, and then we'll start practicing with them. So the the first of the five faculties is, is trust or faith or confidence. You can take your pick. Those are often words where people have an emotional attachment to one or the other that sounds better. Um, and the, you know, the Pali word is sadha, um, often translated as faith, but it's, it has so many more dimensions than that. And the second one is energy or effort, virya. 
recognizable from many lists. The third is mindfulness, sati, also a common one that we've probably worked with. And then the fourth is samadhi, concentration. And the fifth is wisdom or panya. So faith, energy, mindfulness, concentration, and wisdom. Now, interestingly, these five faculties are also said to be the qualities that we use when we are learning or mastering a skill. So that's, um, so for example, we've all learned things to get to the point we are in life. We had to learn many things. Um, and this is usually sort of skills that we had to learn, things like how to do your laundry and how to cook a meal and how to, um, maybe you've learned an art or a sport. Uh, or, or some discipline. It's not intended to be only intellectual, but you know we've learned a lot of things to be where we are. And it's said that these five qualities in their kind of mundane form are what we bring to bear when we are training ourselves. And so they become, so that's just the five faculties in general, and I'll talk about those in a mundane sense in a moment. And then the idea is that they become spiritual faculties when we apply them to the skill of walking the path and of cultivating meditation. So Bhikkhu Bodhi says, the faculties are active powers which coordinate and channel our natural energies. So I like this language that we have natural energies. You may have experienced that we have natural energies in the mind and body, and there's something that can coordinate them. And we actually already possess all the faculties. So this is, these are just the part of the qualities of having a human mind, is you have these qualities. We may not have used them well, we may not, or we may not have used them for practice. We've used them well in many ways. Um, but they're already operating. So sometimes people hear them and they say, well, I don't have any concentration and I don't have any wisdom. You know, that, those are beyond me. But they're not. We actually have all of them already. Uh, we, but we may need to cultivate them further in the spiritual sense. So, for example, um, trust or faith, the first one, this is just having some confidence, first of all, that we can learn something. You're not going to try to learn something if you have no sense that you'll be able to do it at all, or confidence that the process is going to be good. You know, I don't know if I'm going to be a good painter or not, but I think it's going to be good to learn painting, for example. Uh, and so we at least are willing to try. Um, and then there's that naturally evokes some energy, some effort. How are we going to learn this? Well, we have to apply ourselves a little bit. We're going to have to uh, listen to the instructions and try to put them in practice. We're going to have to pay attention to, you know, what we're told is important. And then that, of course, naturally leads to mindfulness. I already said pay attention, but, you know, once you're trying to do something, you have to then sort of focus, okay, wait a minute, what am I doing? If you're trying to do a cook a recipe, you know, you get to step three and you realize, oh, I have to pay attention to uh, exactly how I do this. Otherwise, it's not going to be well prepared for step five. You know, so you start seeing like how the things start to go together, how they work. That's mindfulness. That's a function. That's a mundane application of mindfulness. And then we get into it. You know, then we start to see, oh, I get the pattern. I get how this works. And there's a sense of gathering in and we become focused on what we're doing. 
Um, maybe we get really into it if it's a, something that we're learning. Our friends get sick of the fact that we're talking all the time about our painting class that we're in or our, you know, our poly class or, or our, you know, or we've discovered, I don't know, pickleball and you know we play that every weekend and everyone's so tired of hearing about it but this is the the concentration time when we really kind of focus and devote ourselves to them and then um you know through that we gain some wisdom which is meant to be not wisdom like something that we would necessarily know in kind of an intellectual way but it's like experiential understanding because we did it, <laughs> you know, we, we've done this task and we know that when you get to this part, you have to be careful about such and such or something, or we know, you know, we have a relationship with our dog for a long time and we know the best way to calm that dog. Maybe not every dog, but that dog, yeah, we know because we have experience with that dog. So, you know, there's some, some real wisdom there. Um, so our task then in practice, here we are, making some attempt to learn Buddhist practice or learn about meditation or, you know, whatever brings you to this path or the stay long or anything that you're doing in this regard. The question is, are we using these faculties uh, to help us learn to do that, to walk this path, to balance our life, um, to bring the practice into our life? And you don't have to have an answer to that right now. We're going to do it today. That's the point of the faculties is that we do, we do it. It's experiential learning. Um, and so in that way, they become spiritual faculties. They become the, the things that we're using in our spiritual life to, in whatever way is good for us. I remember when I first, um, very first time I went to a Sangha, it was a small sitting group, uh, just sort of a local one. And I didn't know the people there, but the first time I came, I noticed that the people who were the leaders of the group were comfortable with themselves. That was how I would have described how I described it at the time. They just seemed at ease with themselves and they were just doing their thing. And I guess at that time I probably wasn't very comfortable with myself. And so that was what I noticed. But I had this sort of just small sense of, I think I'd like to be like that. <laughs> you know, there was a sense of I want some of what they have. And so that is a very small expression of faith, you know, a sense of there's something here for me. I didn't have any idea what was going to happen in the unfolding of the path, and I think I still don't, but um, I knew that, I, that there was something there. And so that's that initial spark of confidence or faith or trust uh, that helps us to go forward. So again, from Bhikkhu Bodhi, born of humble origins in everyday functions of the mind, through the Dharma, the five faculties acquire a transcendent destiny. Now, that's very eloquent, um, but he's pointing toward the fact that these are everyday functions of the mind. You don't have to worry that you don't have them. You already have all of these. But um, if we put them toward practice in ways that we don't even know, um, they can take us very far into surprising directions. I mean, that's the, the potential of spiritual practice. It, it has a way, it's potential to transform us. And we don't know what that means. We may have ideals about that. We may think, I don't even want that. That's not what I signed up for. Don't worry about it. But I, I like the eloquence of Bhikkhu Bodhi pointing toward, eh, there is something here, and, and just be open to it. So we're going to examine these more through practice and today, and we'll find that finding clarity is very much about finding balance. We'll talk more about balance as the day goes on. 
Are there any questions at this point? It was just a quick overview um, of something that we'll then do. Okay, good. Well, then why don't we go ahead and um, start with our meditation. We'll sit for, um, settle in good 40, 45 minutes. So find a, find a posture where you can be comfortable. You can move to your cushion or another chair or whatever works for you. If you're comfortable doing so, you can close your eyes. And just allow yourself to feel the body from the inside. Maybe taking a long, slow, deep breath and then exhaling. Letting any obvious tension in the body drain out as you do that. Feeling the contact point of the seat against the cushion or the chair. The legs or the feet against the floor. And we'll just look through the body with mindfulness and invite some ease. So softening the Muscles of the face, around the eyes, around the mouth. The eyes and the eye sockets. Down through the neck, collarbones, allowing the shoulder joints to soften, maybe the shoulder blades to slide down the back. And into the chest area, the heart, the lungs, softening the rib cage. Releasing the diaphragm down into the belly area. And just allowing that to be round soft
and down through the legs, letting go of any bracing you might have brought in, all the way down to the feet. And bringing attention back to the sense of the whole body sitting. And you may tune into the sensations of the breathing as a simple connection to the body, to the present moment. consider that we can learn something in this sitting about the, the skill of staying present with the breath. Probably something we've practiced before, so we have some sense that it's worthwhile. I'm just beginning by noticing where the breath is felt most clearly today. Sometimes it's in the nasal passages, right where the breath enters, could be in the back of the throat or the chest or the belly. or sometimes a large area like the whole body can be a good focus. But wherever you feel the breath, breath most clearly, you have a sense of openness, like maybe you haven't done this before. Or you haven't quite noticed it in the way that you will now. So we can be curious, like a child. And we can notice that that evokes a little bit of interest, perhaps. So we just allow that natural very natural energy to, to let us just settle in and be with the breath coming in, going out, just seeing how it is.
It's very natural that the mind will have other preoccupations. That's just normal. Other momentum that we've built up. And so, you know, when we notice that the mind is wandered off somewhere else, it's actually already back at that point, but we can just notice, oh yeah, back on the sensations of the breathing. Always gentle and kind with bringing the mind back to the task. We may be finding that we're noticing some things about how the breath is today, long or short, that clear spot, how, how large it is or how strong the sensations are or if they're very subtle, and also how our mind is. It's a little agitated or a little dull. These are all just things that we can notice and use to help the mind continue to learn about the breath, about this moment.
Mindfulness is a very inclusive quality in the mind. So even if we've set the task of, you know, feeling the breath, there may very well be other things coming into the mind as we open ourselves to meditation. And it's nice just to include these. We can breathe through other sensations, we can breathe through emotions or thoughts that appear. It's all part of learning about this breath, body, mind system that we're tuning into right now. So being really easeful about the settling in process.
Sometimes it can help to touch back into that very initial quality of faith or trust in the process. And feeling again that something in the heart has brought us an inspiration to sit with ourself. It's a very beautiful thing to do. Just bringing our mindfulness and our ongoing gentle effort to stay present. Sometimes even if experience is agitating or the mind is getting dull, there can be a slight joy just for having such a simple task to do. The mind is happy just to have something very simple. And that joy is worth feeling, the joy of presence, the joy of simplicity.
As we continue to sit, we may feel that there are some qualities of serenity and gathering in the mind, even if they're subtle. Some sense of even ease or joy. And to whatever degree that's available, it's good to notice that. We may be gaining some experiential knowledge also, even just from this sit. Ah, right now my mind is tending to go toward tomorrow or tending to focus on the body sensations that are a little bit uncomfortable. Maybe we've noticed something. And so then we have good information. We allow the mindfulness to keep balancing the mind. re-evoking the sense of trust or the energy, the interest, allowing all the different faculties to be present.
So we may begin to get the sense then that each of the five faculties has a certain quality or flavor to it and how it's used in practice and how it's used to, as Bhikkhu Bodhi said, coordinate and channel our natural energies. So the faith has to do with the willingness to stay with it, to come forth. Uh, the energy evokes some interest in what's going on and classically in the teachings, energy or effort is about reducing the unwholesome and increasing the wholesome, right? There are the four right efforts um, to do that. So that has to do with literally balancing the mind so that it is not influenced by the things that are throwing it off track, which are the unskillful things. And then there's the paying attention to the process, what mindfulness brings, some ability to gather and focus. Um, we can't really change our behavior or transform our mind without some strength to it. And so the concentration is when the mind gathers and really puts itself toward the task, which it may or may not do at any given time. If it, that didn't happen, don't worry. And then the experiential wisdom, the experiential understanding from all of those of what's going on in the mind and what is needed next. Um, and that can be an active thing. We can look and see, or it can eventually become something that's a little bit part of the self-balancing of the system, so that we're not as you know, identified with being the doer of that, but we are at times the doer of that. So we'll take some time now for walking meditation, since we've been sitting for a while, and um, if anybody would like instruction on walking meditation, you can stay after um, after I finish talking, and I'll, I'm happy to provide that. Uh, it's you know we figure out how to do it in our own space, um, but we'll walk until let's come back at 11:25, so in about 25 minutes, and um, maybe just keep some continuity of mindfulness and some sense of um, the energy of staying with the task of being present for ourselves, not too hard on the energy so we're getting wrapped up, but not too lax on it so the mind is just going everywhere, maybe working with the level of energy. And um, good, so I'll see you back at 11.25 and uh, anyone who would like to walking instruction, uh, please stay on. Susan, you're raising your hand. Would you like it? <laughs> Thanks. Okay. Wondering where the, no, I actually have a question. Yeah. And uh, when is our lunch break? Do we know that yet? Oh, um, if I stay on track, <laughs> um, it's going to be around 12, 15, 12, 20. Is that okay? okay? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, I've got wiggle room. I'm taking neighbor's dog today. So. Okay. Yeah, Great. it should be. It should be around twelve fifteen, twelve twenty. Is there a time you know you're talking? Like a Dharma talk. Yeah, I'll give a Dharma talk. Um, uh, starting, I don't know, three fifteen, three twenty, something like that. 
helpful. Thanks for that. Sure. Happy All to right. be. Okay, so welcome back from walking. I hope that was good. And I want to talk now just briefly before we sit again about a different uh, view of the five faculties. So I talked about them unfolding in sequence and that's the sequence is definitely not arbitrary that they're listed in but the um and another place in the teachings they're presented in a different way and the image given is of a, a horse a horse cart so a, a cart that's being drawn by five horses and those are the faculties and they're arranged such that there's a lead horse in the front and then two pairs of horses behind it. And the lead horse is actually mindfulness, the one that's in the middle. And it's kind of stands above and it's the one that um, determines, you know, how fast the whole thing is going and has some balancing effect on the faculties themselves. And then the two pairs are energy and concentration and faith and wisdom. So those are interesting pairs. Sometimes people think those sound different or contrasting. But the idea, if you think about this horse cart image, is that in a given pair, you would not want to have a really strong horse and a really weak horse. That's not going to work to drive the cart well. So we want the faculties to be balanced, and particularly these pairs to be balanced, energy and concentration and faith and wisdom. And if, if the mind gets out of balance, um, there are certain characteristics that it will have if we see that the faculties are not all present and balanced. For example, if faith is out of balance, if there's too sort of an overbalance of that, the mind can be gullible and overly devotional. You know, we just sort of bl blindly have faith without the, the discernment of wisdom to balance that. On the other hand, if wisdom is too strong, we can get clever and skeptical, and we think we know everything, um, and, but we need somehow the, the warmth and the um, willingness of faith to move into territory maybe that we don't understand. And then similarly with energy and concentration, if we have effort or energy too much, um, we'll get restless. But if concentration is too strong, the mind will sink. It'll have too, it'll be, uh, kind of what's called sinking mind. So we, again, want both of those. Now, uh, and then mindfulness is the one that you can have as much of as you want. <laughs> There's no need to balance that one. Um, okay, so one thing about this image, though, because uh, all images are limited, is that when I first heard about this balance idea, I thought about a mechanical balance, you know, so you have, you know, these, you know, the one with the two pans where there's one going up and one going down. And so then, but this wasn't the right image because if you have a mechanical balance that's out of balance, you know, and one's too high and one's too low, you can um, add to the one that's low or you can take away from the one that's high and it's the same, um, I guess it's the reverse in a mechanical balance. You have to add to the one that's too light. But anyway, you can add or take away and it achieves the same effect. But that's not what we want to do in the mind. Actually, um, 
the, the faculties, we want to all be strong. So if one of them is lagging a little bit, that we need to shore that one up. It's not that if we have too much concentration, we should take away and have less concentration. We should shore up energy in order to meet the, the level of concentration. And so we have this nice situation with these mental faculties that they mutually support each other. It's not that they, even though they seem contrasting, particularly faith and wisdom, sometimes people think are very contrasting, but it's actually that we want both of those to be strong. We want strong faith, strong trust, and strong discernment about what we're doing and what's gonna work. Um, and so they have this way of being, um, have resonance is the word that's used. They can get in resonance where each one is increasing the other one and they get higher and higher together. And that is considered a very good state to get the mind into when it resonates like that. So we have a sense, a situation of harmony and resonance between these five faculties. Um, and you know, what is it that watches that and checks that it's working? Mindfulness, <laughs> the lead horse. So I hope that gives maybe a little bit more uh, richness or nuance to understanding these five faculties. You don't have to do them in a sequence. We're actually doing them all at once, and it's a sense of bringing balance, particularly in those two pairs. Okay, so if there are, there are any questions, um, you could ask. Yes, Sierra. Could you expand on the sinking I'm sorry, I had my volume too low. Can you say again? Um, when there, you said there's too much concentration, there can be what's called the sinking mind. Yeah. Can you expand on what that is or kind of? Yeah, it's a distinct experience that you'll, you'll probably know if you have it, is that when the mind starts, it's when we actually start getting settled in sitting and the hindrances are reduced and we start feeling like we're settling in. It can be so nice to have that calmness that the mind just kind of gets dull and it just sinks out of consciousness <laughs> and then it, we don't go to sleep that's a different thing right that's having sloth and torpor so but the mind is just so calm and peaceful that it forgets to pay attention really and so um yeah it, it, it's common and it's not that big a problem it is pleasant so it's kind of hard to stop doing it but what you need to do is just bring a little bit more energy and, and remember that we have to pay attention even when we're calm so yeah jerry i don't know if you just want questions or i can give a comment it's Sure. I was just wanting us to feel complete on this part, and then we'll sit again. So if, so if it contributes to that. Well, I hope it does. That's sort of what I struggle with. It, if it just contributes to me or to the group, uh, I want it to be the second one. Um, <clears throat> part of why I uh, signed up today is I, I, my own practice is it continually climbs up and then sort of peters out over and over again for years. And I don't know that uh, I lose the faith. Uh, I lose the trust or confidence that this is really going to get me where I'm going, not that I know where I'm going. Right. Then today on the, on the cushion was like what I call six months worth of therapy in the one sitting. But uh, what also came to mind was I once told a teacher in Asia that I was afraid of my own wisdom. And of course, he laughed at me because I don't think as an Asian he quite got it. But eventually he got it. So 
on my own, I was seeing that relationship. So now it makes me want to cry. I don't want to hear my own voice, which to me is the voice of the heart, which is the heart is the voice of wisdom. So I understand that the faith or the confidence is not maybe in the process. The trust is in, in and the faith is in, is in this process of listening inside. Does that make any sense? There, there are different things we'll need to have trust in along the way. One of them for sure is our own ability to do this. <laughs> and that's, um, so that would be countering the hindrance of doubt. Um, and then there are other things that, we'll, that we can use to have to, to shore that up. We can have trust in um, the practice. We can have trust in a teacher. We can have trust in a sangha. Um, all of these things are sort of better than our usual areas of trust. But there does need to be that sense of uh, trust that we'll be able to advance in some way. I have found that sometimes, um, I hear you on that one, and I have found that sometimes um, using the word respect can be helpful. So um, if it doesn't work for you, don't worry about it. But um, I have sometimes sat with a sense of dignity in the beauty and the nobility of this practice that so many people have done through the ages. And it, um, there's something very beautiful about continuing that. And I can respect myself for showing up for that process. And sometimes just that little turn of turning from having to worry about me and whether I'm good enough, um, I have sometimes used uh, a sense of respect for what for the action yeah maybe i wasn't clear or maybe i don't understand your response but i i don't have trust for someone who talks all the time it's sort of weird maybe that's why i do i don't have trust in what i'm hearing from my heart uh-huh i don't have trust that in fact i already know the answers that i'm seeking and i see that more and more in small like milliseconds you know the line that what we're seeking is seeking us. That is actually yeah. true. That's what I'm saying. When the teacher laughed at me that I'm afraid of my wisdom, I'm afraid that the wisdom really already knows what needs to be done to, to move forward. And I guess it must scare that that's why I don't have faith because I'm not, I'm not trust, I'm not, I'm afraid of the wisdom. Afraid, I mean, it, that's what I mean. Okay, yeah. Yeah. yeah, some part of you knows what's going to have to happen for that to really mature. And but I don't know how to find that balance. So I found it interesting that you, you put those as a pair when my sitting this before was definitely about that. Try to find harmony between the trust and the wisdom. And in this case, the wisdom, not just of the Dharma, I already know that's there. It's the wisdom that lives in all of us. I'm becoming more and more a believer that the wisdom is already in us. Well, there's the teaching that says, make of yourself an island, make of the Dhamma an island. And, and it says, make of yourself an island have no, and have no other island as your refuge. And it says, make of the Dharma an island and have no other island as your refuge. And you say, wait a minute. How can it be one? How can they each be the only island? But then you realize, oh, he's saying that the self and the Dharma are going to come together. Right. Or they are together, right? So. Yeah. 
I have a lot of faith in the way that that unfolds in that um, if you're at an edge there, just hang at the edge and some, somehow something will shift at some point. Well, that's you have that in you, but there's something in you that's not willing to listen to that. No, that's, that's the part that might need attention. Well, it's very interesting. Yeah, because hanging at the edge is easier said than done sometimes. Yeah. So, uh, and I, I, I won't, I'll stop here, but I have some, I got some more clues in this, in the, in the first set. What it, what, to just call it fear is not helpful, but I have some more cue, clues. I don't really want to go off the map and go non-conceptual. It's, it's like, I'm afraid of beginner's mind in the ultimate sense. Okay. Yeah. All right. Thank you. This, this is great. I'm delighted that this practice is bringing up that immediately. It's good. Susan, you have your hand up. So real quick, does it matter where the pairs are? Which one's front and back? Oh, um, I'm not sure. I don't think so. I think we could arrange them however we want. <laughs> okay. Well, with that, then let's, um, let's sit again. I'll offer some guidance, a little guidance at the beginning. Okay, so settling in again to your meditation posture. And maybe taking a long, slow, deep breath, allowing the air to when it goes out, just to soften the body a bit. Closing the eyes. Maybe softening the shoulders and the belly. Finding the sensations of the breath, maybe in the spot that's clearest, or maybe a sense just of the whole body breathing. Perhaps evoking the idea of the 
sitting process as a path, some sense that there will be a path. It unfolds moment to moment. Something happens during a sit, something happens during a day, a year. There's always a path on every scale. There's some kind of a path. Having some confidence by paying attention to experience freshly, we will continue on that path.
as we continue to sit, one quality that touches into both faith and wisdom is the act of listening. So we have a sense of being willing to hear what is coming next, what experience is going to present to us next. We want to listen to that. And as we listen, we're actively hearing that with the mind, and there's some possibility of learning through listening. The sense of what is this? And the sense of ah, it's this together.
gently sensing how is the mind now? How is the body now? Now and then just checking in like the lead horse overseeing the others. Adjusting slightly if the energy is too high or low. Finding some balance between the head and the heart.
Okay, so we have, um, in the faculties, we have this idea that they progress and also that there are certain aspects of them that are mutually enhancing. And we looked maybe more at the faith and wisdom on that sitting, but brought in all of them. So we can start to get a sense of how these are the active energies of our mind and body that are um, possible to get to sort of organize around a task. And so our next task is lunch. And um, my suggestion for the time, just to have a continuity of practice, is to notice the five faculties as you're doing simple tasks that you know how to do. I don't know what you're gonna do. Maybe you'll cook something or maybe just pull something out of the fridge um, and uh, maybe go for a walk, whatever it is that you do at lunchtime. So these are things that you don't need to, you already know how to do. And so you can watch the presence of the different factors unfolding because uh, you'll use all of them kind of in the process of doing that task that you know how to do. I would encourage if it's possible for you um, not to really be on the electronics during the lunch. If you can wait a few hours, that would be great. Um, yeah. So it's um, just a bit after 12. Let's come back at, at least in this time zone, <laughs> let's come back at about um, five after one, something like that, a little bit less than an hour. And um, yeah, are there any questions before we break? We'll continue with these little short teachings and some more sitting and walking. We'll focus a little more on the samadhi in the afternoon as we have settled in more. All right, I look forward to seeing you then. Let's say 105. All right, be well, have a good lunch. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.